It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. This is a special Saturday edition. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic coming up in 30 seconds on Twitter. At James Rapine, at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts are also posted every single day at LockedOnBengals.com. And we're 12 days away from the first round of the NFL Draft, and a must-follow if you're into the draft is Joe Goodberry. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. has a lot of great draft content coming out for The Athletic. And he's with us now. Joe, I appreciate the time. Thanks for taking some time out. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm getting excited. We're just a couple weeks out, and uh, we're almost there. Almost made it. We've almost made it. Yesterday's podcast came and went, and here's what I told people. And, and tell me if you agree, if you disagree. We've obviously talked about offensive linemen a ton leading up to the draft. The fact that the Bengals have met with Mike McGlinchey now for a third time. They had dinner with him on Thursday night, according to ESPN's Catherine Terrell in downtown Cincinnati. I look at that. I look at how they value the right tackle position and just tackles in general. And in my mind, I think, well, if Mike McGlinchey's there at 21, I think they would have considered him at 12. They're going to run to the podium and take the Notre Dame tackle and start him on the right side. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, in, in the likelihood of the Bengals taking Mike McGlinchey with the 21st pick. I think you're reading all the correct tea leaves this close to the draft. And um, I, I think the visits are important. I think the attention and the interest they express in pro- prospects are very important. I went back and looked over the last five, six years. Um, there is a correlation. So for me, I, I suspected they were already high on McGlinchey as it was. Uh, he's a good prospect. Some, I've read some people don't have first-round grades on him. I know a lot of offensive line evaluators really do like him because he's, he was so well coached at Notre Dame. He was paired with Quentin Nelson, who may be the best player in this draft. And together, uh, they dominated on the left side for Notre Dame. And McGlinchey has some experience on the right side, too. Uh, he's a big guy, six foot eight. Uh, he's got long arms, strong hands. He misses at times, and he's not a great athlete. He's an okay athlete. And because of it, he's had some bad tape or some bad reps. Against guys like Bradley Chubb, we're going to go, you know, top five, top six. Um, so uh, McGlinchey is good, and the best part about him is his character and his his attitude. And I, I, I think anyone would love to have that kind of guy in the locker room. Uh, he's definitely like a future captain of the team type guy. And if he's there at twenty one, I do think he'll probably be the best player at a need position for them. So I, I think it'd be a no brainer if he makes it. I, I, I struggle at times. Uh, to believe he's going to for sure be there. I think there's going to be a run on offensive line, maybe starting with the Cardinals and the teams, and maybe you could see teams like the Ravens and a couple others jump on it. Uh, I think the Patriots are in position to move up and get a tackle. And I, I think the Bengals' obvious interest could, could afford the Patriots a, a, a definite target to where they need to get and get ahead of the, the Bengals. Um, so I could see him being gone. And 
you're right. I think if at 12, they would have taken him still. And that's why when we talked about the trade with for Cordy Glenn and moving back to 21, uh, we at the time we said you're going to get the same quality of player at 21, especially if you're targeting offensive line. And it may not be a Mike McGlinchey. It may be in, in a Isaiah Wynn, maybe a Connor Williams, uh, maybe a Will Hernandez or a James Daniels. Whoever it may be, I think you're getting a similar player. And because of that, uh, it makes sense. I do think the, if the Bengals are strong at any of the openings on offensive line, whether that be center, right guard, or right tackle, I have the most hope for Jake Fisher at right tackle. So, Picking McGlinchey would throw that up, and obviously you're starting McGlinchey if you're taking him with the 20, 21st overall pick. Um, so if they did that, it would solidify this offensive line. And think about where they were at tackle last year uh, with Cedric Abuehi and Jake Fisher turned into Andre Smith and Eric Winston playing. Uh, to go to, to Cordy Glenn and Mike McGlinchey would be a complete 180 and, and would go a long way into helping this offense get back to where it needs to be. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do want to talk to you about Jake Fisher. You had a really good piece on him for the athletic and and the other thing there that I the parallel I think that the Bengals kind of should have adopt is is something the Vikings did last year look the Vikings say what you want about them but they had uh, an influx of offensive linemen that they just switched out they they completely revamped their offensive line they got to the NFC title game with a quarterback that's similar to Andy Dalton they they had two wide receivers kind of game changers in a solid running game I look at the Bengals, and if they could do that at the tackle position, and it seems kind of realistic, and then get a center in round two, you're talking about a whole new line outside of the guard spots, which Clint Bowling is good. We know that when he's got something around him. And then if you have Alex Redman or Christian Westerman, one of those guys battling for the other guard spot, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, I would be too. Uh, I think you're not going to fix all five spots in one offseason, so... The fact that they already got their left tackle is a huge jump start. If you're saying they select two offensive linemen out of their first three picks, maybe even out of their first four picks, which would be in the, in, in the first two days. Because, listen, I, I still think even if they go McGlinchey at 21 and they need a center, I don't think it's a slam dunk they take a center at 46 because the Bengals don't typically double up not only offense-offense, but O-line-O-line, you know, at the same position. They have done it before in the most recent example, so it's hard for me to make that case. But they don't typically go offense-offense or defense-defense. They'll go back and forth. Um, now, having said that, I do think the maximum value is probably at 46 to take a center. But at the same time, the first center, Pat Elfline, to go with your Vikings reference, uh, went in the third round last year. And I think he's a very comparable prospect to a Billy Price. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were still starting quality centers at the top half of the third round where the Bengals pick. And with 11 picks, if it gets to the point where they have to trade up, maybe from that third round pick, um, I would be advocating for that. I, you know, you go and secure a position like that, and I think that's how you really turn this offensive line around is by securing right tackle and, and center and saying, yeah, maybe even Jake Fisher, maybe Cedric he can get into the, the battle at right guard. Those guys have experience at multiple positions. To battle with Westerman, to battle with the Redmond and Hopkins, I think if you put all those guys, all those guys with talent that have at least flashed something on the offensive line, um, you're, you're bound to find one solid guy if you have an honest, open competition at that spot. And I think this with Frank Pollock coming in, it's the biggest change they could do, I think, on the offensive coaching staff this year uh, to coach this offensive line. Bring in a wide zone scheme, more run more zone, use your athletes on the offensive line. 
uh, run run the inside zone stuff. I, I just think it, you could see a complete 180 on offensive line if they nail the picks. Of course, that's a big part of it. Um, I think, obviously, great jump start with, with Cordy Glenn. But nailing the picks will be key. If they can do it, they can do it the right way and maximize the value at the same time. That's just a bonus. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Joe, let's get to Jake Fisher, because you wrote about him. Give our listeners sort of a preview when you went back and watched the film and saw what Jake Fisher did last season. And I did because he get he gets lumped with Cedric Oboye, I think, unfairly, because they were drafted together, um, because they sat that first year. Fisher played a little bit of fullback and tight end. Uh, but really, they got their, their chance later, so year, year three, really, for, for Fisher. So um, he was already behind in his development. I think he was a better prospect than Cedric Oboye coming out. I said that at the time. I thought they were going to draft him at 21 that year. Uh, I, that's who I mocked my that final mock that year. So for me, I thought Fisher was the better prospect. I think the tape has been better. If you want to look at production and look at like pro football focus scores, Oboye and Fisher they look similar when you're looking at them like that. But when you watch the tape, and there's a difference between production and evaluation because the production can be well. You know, he failed five times, he, and he won on five other blocks. But the evaluation can say, why did he fail? And for Cedric Abuehi, it's more of he, he doesn't have that anchor. He's got soft hands. He's got weak hands. He's got late hands. It's really is a, is a big crutch to, to why he's, he's so bad. But when you watch Fisher, it's more of, oh, he just got a little too aggressive there. Oh, man, he got his hand knocked down, and he couldn't, re- he couldn't regain his balance. Or he just had too much weight on that right foot and couldn't come back with a power step and drive that guy out of there. Simple little things. It's not the same thing over and over again. It's little things that say this guy needs time. He needs reps. He needs practice. And there was a lot of flash plays that say that is a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. I thought he was their best second-level blocker uh, out of everyone on the offensive line last year, even in, in his half a year that he played. And you, you have to wonder, too, with the heart condition and with him not being able to really play every snap in every game, was he able to practice as much as he was, as he was supposed to? So he was behind his development even more. And I, I look at him and I go, there's enough flashes and enough upside plays here and enough traits that I'm, I'm hopeful out of all the guys, all the young guys, and that includes Redman and Westerman and Hopkins, that I think Fisher can end up being a high-end starter out of all those guys. Um, and I, I don't know if he'll get that chance because you can't pass on a Mike McGlinchey because you have a Jake Fisher that you're hopeful for. He's had health issues. He's, he's had bad play, if we're being honest. But I think the upside still remains. Well, when I watch a boy, he, he's the exact same guy he was in college, and he really hasn't developed. And I think the, the, the flaws he has are enough to sink his ship completely. Well, I don't feel the same way with Fisher. So I watched a few of his best games. I uh, looked for some of the bad plays, too. But I, I, the best games were Buffalo and Pittsburgh. I went through every snap. I found maybe 15 to 20 plays that I recorded that I could have used. I only put about six or seven in the piece. But those 15 or 20 plays, I don't think I could find that many games or find that many snaps for a boy in maybe 15 games off a full season. So... For me, I thought it was very impressive when I was watching it out of the context of the season and, 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 and in the scope of the season. 
Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is our guest. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, I look at uh, this draft, and naturally people focused on the offensive line, but this week the Bengals, they they hold a visit or bring in Eric Reed for a visit. It gets all this controversy met with all this controversy. And I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but but I think that I'm not sure the Bengals were signing Eric Reed regardless of how the visit went, really regardless of what he said about the anthem protest. Um, because, and I know you mocked uh, safety to the Bengals in your first mock draft. In my mind, they might just be vetting out veterans here. Obviously, the safety market isn't what people expected. It's kind of down at the at this point. Why not wait and see how the draft goes? If they don't get the safeties they like, then revisit Eric Reed and potentially signing him. And that's exactly what I think happened. The, the more you can gather. Now, I don't think they like the idea that we heard that Mike Brown questioned him about his kneeling. Oh, they um, hated the just, report. I know for right. a fact they hated it. Yes. I, I think every team, even if they didn't bring him in, hated it. Teams don't like that stuff getting out. That's typical. Um, so that may have hurt the chances, but I still think there's a chance he could be signed. The idea was to bring him in, gauge his interest, see if he's a fit, see if you like him, see if you still like him from the pre-draft and when they did like him that year. Uh, you know, see where his money's at. What, do you, what are you looking for? What type of contract? We got a report right around that time that he would play for the 5 to $6 million that he played for last year. I think that's too rich for the Bengals. Agreed. So what I think happened is they said to him, listen, we like you. We think you'll be a fit. We have two starting safeties, but we think, you know, some fans said, well, he's a top 10 safety or so. I don't think he is. I think he's comparable to Iloka and Sean Williams. And that's not a bad thing. I think you have those are quality starting safeties. But from a football standpoint, Reed can play free safety, strong safety, and he played linebacker last year. And if you look at, like, the Eagles and the Patriots, two teams in the Super Bowl last year, they did that a lot, played with three safeties instead of that other nickel linebacker. And for the Eagles, it was Malcolm Jenkins. For the Patriots, it was Patrick Chung. I think the Bengals are looking at that and saying, we can do that too if we get an Eric Reed. Um, and it helps your need at linebacker. It helps your need at cover linebacker. It helps you get more athletic at that position. So for the Bengals, it made sense. But I think they look for a bargain whenever they can, especially in free agency. So to me, this is what I think happened is they brought him in, felt him out, wanted to see where he was at, and they said, listen, we like you. We think you'd be a fit. Uh, we understand you don't have too many offers out there right now. If you'll sign for three, maybe three and a half million, call us back. You know, until then, um, you know, we like you and we hope you, you're successful. Now, this is with the idea of two weeks still to go in the draft. Any agent with a, with a, with a free agent that, or a player that um, has a standing offer or at least something that's similar to that, uh, at least a suggested offer, on the table – would be wise to take it before the draft. And you'll see this a lot where a lot of players will sign a few days just before the draft comes around, and it's because you don't want that team to fill that need through the draft. And I think the Bengals could. I think the Bengals could take Justin Reed. I think they could take Ronnie Harrison. I think there's a few other safeties in a really good class for that for that day two range that could come in and help. Uh, I think the Bengals like veterans over rookies. I think that, that history is there. So they would rather Eric Reed sign maybe three days before the draft, and, and they'll shelve the safety position until next year or, or in the future. Uh, and I think that's how it went down. So I don't think it's over yet, despite the fact that that report came out. I think Carol Austin and Marvin Lewis and, and the defensive backs coaches still really like him and think he'd be a fit for the team. So I, I haven't shut the door on that. I don't know what you think, James. Yeah, I, I haven't shut the door on it. I think that it really – <clears throat> excuse me, uh, pissed them off. <laughs> I, I, sure. I, I have a feeling it pissed them off that he ran and told Mike Florio, and it was obvious if you read the report, 
that it came from Eric Reed. In my mind, I think that they odds are they say good riddance. And I, I, I have two scenarios I'll run by you um, because th- the idea of playing Eric Reed at that, in that hybrid role makes sense. But could Sean Williams play that role? Because if Sean Williams can play that role, I have a couple names that I want to run by you to drop back and play play the more of the free safety role. So first off, the, do you think Sean Williams can be the, the hybrid linebacker type that they might have signed Reed to be? I think Sean and Aloka both good. Um, I go back to Sean has done it a little bit, not as much, but I go back to the Saints game. I want to say what was it, 2014, uh, Jeremy Hill's rookie year? Yeah, because Jim, Jimmy Graham was still there, but they did it with um, Iloka, and he came down and covered Jimmy Graham a bunch, and I thought he did a fantastic job doing it. But Iloka is really the only free guy they have, even if he isn't a true free safety, so he's more valuable to keep there. I do think Sean Williams could do it. I think he's got the size, the power. I think he defends the run well enough. He would be the guy of the two that I would feel more comfortable if you can find another safety that can cover. Um, but I also think in this draft, there's guys, there's safeties that played that star position or, or the rover position, as some colleges call it, that played some, like a Derwin James. Uh, he would be ideal for this if somehow he was there at 21. So, um, yes, I do think Sean Williams could be that position. All right. So with that said, and Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is our guest here on the Locked on Bengals podcast. So if Sean Williams can do that, then the the free safety aspect, obviously Kenny Vaccaro is still out there. That's a name that won't come with the controversy. I think the Bengals did like him around the draft when he was drafted. Uh, same thing for, for Eric Reed, of course. Is that a guy that, and I, I don't know how much you've watched of him, but do you think that's a guy that would be an upgrade from Sean Williams if Sean Williams is moving into that hybrid role? Or George I don't Ivoca. know if you would. Right, sure. <clears throat> or even Kenny Vaccaro. Because if I remember his Texas tape and coming out as a prospect in the early years at, with the Saints, um, he was that star position at, at safety, where it's more of a linebacker, zone safety, closer to the line of scrimmage, and cover the slot. Kind of Tyron Matthew made it really popular. Um, not so much that Deion Buchanan linebacker role, but more of the Matthew free safety, free safety, strong safety, nickel corner. I think that's what Vaccaro did. Um, I haven't seen him recently. I know he's been injured. He hasn't had the same success with the Saints. I don't know where he is right now or where or what kind of offers he's going to get. I would be interested in bringing him in um, because I think with the need at linebacker and how they're so poor at linebacker right now, especially coverage linebacker, you get better at safety. You can potentially equate that to getting better at linebacker in this idea. All right. So there's one. Here's the other one. And we know the Bengals like familiarity. We know the Bengals like cheap, <laughs> which why wouldn't you? And, and to me, if they could use Iloka or Sean Williams in that hybrid role, why not just bring back Pac-Man on a league minimum deal he can help in the return game. He could be the nickel corner when you need him to be, and he could help at safety and kind of position changes position a bit. I think he's still athletic enough. Obviously, he had some injuries last year. But in my mind, I don't think anyone's rushing to sign Adam Jones. That's a guy I think could come back, and maybe they try to transition him to safety a bit. He seems small for safety, even though he's aggressive and tough. Um it's rare to see a sub 200 pound safety at this point in the NFL. I think they're getting a little bit bigger because they cover uh, tight ends and because they come up and defend the run and play a little linebacker now. But maybe you sign him as a depth and maybe Derek Denard plays a little bit more safety because the way they use Denard and Shaw and then Nickel uh, in the slot is kind of like a hybrid safety would. They really don't ask him to go in man coverage. 
they ask those guys to play a zone and play like a linebacker role and, and a safety role uh, in, in, in from the slot. So maybe a Pac-Man Jones signing relieves that pressure and allows them to do more with Darkwood Denard. But I don't think, for me, I don't. The idea of Pac-Man playing safety is a little bit of a stretch. One thing is because you need to have a safety that trusts his eyes and will fire guns when he has to, not be too aggressive, and not get fooled because that's your lifeline of defense. And I'm not saying Pac-Man is a dummy. I'm saying he is super aggressive at times, and he gets caught on those double moves. He gets caught on those pump fakes, or he'll jump a route and try and, and get too aggressive. He would really need to tone himself down, I think, to be successful at safety. Ah, Joe, that was my magic idea. Ah, it was. I mean, How about Trey Boston? I Trey mean, Boston was a free safety, uh, had a lot of interceptions. Uh, he's a poor tackler. He's a little risky. He'll jump routes. Same way I've just described Pac-Man Jones. Yeah. Uh, he'll take bad angles to try and make a tackle. But at least it gives you a little bit of free and deep zone stuff where maybe you can move Iloka and do a little bit more with him and then, and then move Sean Williams and do a little more with him. I still think there's options out there. I think the best options are in the draft. And I think I really like the safety class. The more you watch it, Ronnie Harrison from Alabama is a true free safety type and a strong safety body where he'll come down, he'll make tackles, he, he'll hit with power. Um he sometimes he just hits with his shoulder and lets the guy bounce off, and that's really my biggest complaint with him. But I think he's got fairly good range from the deep free safety spot for Alabama, where you know most of those guys are coming out and, and, and game ready and football smart. I think Justin Reed is fantastic. I think he's super athletic, can cover and play all three positions, including slot uh, in the defensive backfield. And then I think you got guys like Jesse Bates and Dane Crookshank is a guy I think they'll like in the mid rounds. Um, I I think. If Reed doesn't sign, the next step is is draft, and I, I think people might be surprised if they go early on it. What about Jay Kirkpatrick at safety? I've always been interested in Kirkpatrick turning into a safety. I, I was the out, day he drafted. He was drafted yeah. exactly. A lot of people said because he was better in zone, because he was physical, because he would tackle. I think people expected him to gain weight, and I'm not sure how much bigger he's gotten since that point. Uh, but at the same time. Being better in zone and, you know, getting out of the way of, of, you know, how often Dre's in coverage and he's in man coverage and he's right next to the receiver and the ball still gets completed. It seems like he's just got poor awareness or or he ends up tugging on guys because uh, his hand placement's bad. That you would eliminate a lot of that at safety, I think. And uh, for me, I would be interested to see what you could do with Drake Kirkpatrick in different spots. I'd like to see him inside in the slot, too. Um, So, I don't know. I, I, there's kind of hope there. I think if Kirkpatrick struggles again at, at the boundary spot two years in a row, uh, maybe they get flexible with him. Maybe they try and figure out what, what he can do best. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. I can't believe he shot down 185-pound Adam Jones playing tackle, or, or playing tackle, <laughs> playing safety. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah, before. playing tackle. That yeah. See, now that sounds crazy, but not the safety. See, oh, I thought you would love that idea. Oh, man. I'd like the flexibility. The more talent you put back there... It allows people to get in the best position. Yeah. Play your aces in their places. You don't do the opposite. You don't put a guy where Adam Jones that. isn't an ace anymore. He's no, he's not. But he's a. You don't want to put him in a spot where it makes him weaker. He's an eight. But it, what, what you could do though <laughs> is put Adam Jones at the other boundary or put him in 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 the slot if he can play it. We really haven't seen him do it much. But maybe you kick Kirkpatrick into the slot and maybe that puts Darquez Denard at, at safety. Denard has a lot of Leon Hall in him, and I think Leon Hall could have been a decent safety. Um, and I wonder if, if if you could end up going down that path. All right, Joe. Let's uh, let's get to a few more things here before I let you go on a Saturday edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. And the the headline story, the big story, 
in the NFL yesterday was Des Bryant released by the Dallas Cowboys. And I talked about it because I got some tweets on it. To me, and I'm all about adding talent, I, the, the trade for Odell Beckham deal, I'll, I'll do that up until the, the Bengals make the pick at 21. But with Dez, he's a big name. I think he's lost a step. Uh, would he be an upgrade from Brandon LaFell? Sure. At the same time, is it worth losing the, the championship pedigree, the leadership that Brandon LaFell brings? They love him at Paul Brown Stadium for that. And to me, if you're swapping out Brandon LaFell for Dez Bryant and you have a bunch of young receivers behind them, that that would worry me some, especially when A.J. Green, it's not like he's the most outspoken guy. He's a leader by example. So in my mind, I would uh, I would shy away from Des Bryant. But what are your thoughts on the potential of uh, Des Bryant and the Bengals and how that would fit? Yeah, Des has really uh, dealt with injuries, um, different quarterbacks, different uh, – I think Dallas's system isn't helping anybody in terms of uh, the passing game right now. I think it's very bland, very basic. Uh, but the – the MO on Des Bryant is always he's never been a really good or, or smart route runner. He runs four routes really that are good, a slant, a post, a go, and a fade, and that's who he is. Um, and he's been easy to cover at times because of it, and as he's lost some explosiveness, he's lost some speed, I think it's been easier and easier to cover him. He's not getting the separation he used to. I think he'd still be a good jump ball guy, guy who's good in the red zone. I think he could still run go routes and be deep. That's why he's ideal for a number two and why the, the Cowboys couldn't pay him 16 million. But having said that, I don't think he would be a direct replacement for LaFell because in the Bengals' ideal offense, LaFell's not their number two. It's John Ross. John Ross is that other outside guy. Now it doesn't mean LaFell's not going to play. It just means LaFell's probably best in the slot, as we said. And he was decent in the slot last year when Tyler Boyd went down. So I don't know if it's if Boyd and LaFell, who's going to win that slot job. But I think in, in the ideal world, Ross is healthy, Eifert's healthy, and you don't need it, Des Bryant, to be honest with you. Uh, Des at his best right now is just an okay complimentary receiver. Uh, Ross at his best, which we haven't seen, but we all hope to see it and, and flashes of it from what college showed us, um, is better than Des Bryant. Let's be honest. I think he would be. For what this offense needs, for what they need from that other outside receiver spot, Ross would fit that better, in my opinion. So. A lot of it, again, we we cannot mention Ross without talking about health. A lot of it depends on that. But for me, um, they're better off keeping LaFell and challenging Boyd in the slot with him and letting guys like Cody Core and Josh Malone and probably a draft pick in the mid-round somewhere compete and upgrade that spot that John Ross is going to play. And uh, for me, that's how you get the best out of this receiving core in 2018. Joe, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree, and I hope I hope you're right about John Ross. Uh, last question for Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Uh, I hope I'm right about John Ross, too. I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus there. How much criticism, by the way, have you gotten for the whole John Ross thing? I get a lot Not of it. Not as much as you. I get a lot of it. I think because here's the difference is, like, I became outspoken about it. Like, they should take a wide receiver at nine, period. And you were <laughs> you weren't as... You know, you wanted a wide receiver, but it wasn't, you know, as bad, if that makes sense. Right. I, you, um, you hung your head on it. Really you, you were more reasonable. <laughs> yeah, you were reasonable. I was like, man, I don't want anyone else but a receiver. Corey Davis or John Ross. Those were the two, and they got you one know, of them. funny with the Reuben Foster stuff, because a lot of people wanted Reuben Foster. And it's terrible. I mean, there's a reason guys fall in the draft, and if the reports come out that, 
teams didn't even have him on their board. I heard the Bengals did not have Ruben Foster on their board. He was on a sub board with a flag on him. Um, so it makes sense why they passed and why he fell as far as he did. And, you know, obviously you hope the man figures it out and, and, and gets an order because he can, he can be a fantastic player. But it just goes to show you, sometimes there's risks with players that aren't so evident. And I think that's why people are against John Ross and we're against the pick because you knew the risks. It wasn't that you had to worry about his hand placement or how he runs a, a slant route because not everyone can see that. Everyone can see when a guy has been hurt or has been injured. And yeah. so people were against the pick. It's not always, you know, you can't tell when a guy's got character issues and, and it's going to end up being out of the league after one year, as is the case with a Ruben Foster. So I think that's why people were against it and why you had to defend it harder because the talent was evident. And so um, I think it just created a bit of a storm where it's going to be hard for Ross to live up to the people that were really high on him, but there's a lot of people that expect nothing from him at this point. And I think if he catches one deep touchdown in the first few weeks, people will be back on board. Uh, and I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be like Chad Johnson in his <laughs> prime. Gonna I'm going to be talking so much. Oh, man, people are going to He gonna has hit. arrived. Oh, man, yeah. John Ross, always open. Um, but uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to um, this year's draft. And if I... Had to pick for 21. I told you Mike McGlinchey would be my prediction. Obviously, we're 12 days out. In your mind, who do you think the Bengals pick? Obviously, it's a guess slash prediction, and we don't know who's going to be there. But who do you think the Bengals pick with 21? Are you allowed to say who you think the Bengals can pick or will pick at 21 here with 12 days left? Yes, I haven't had my final mock yet. Um, I started building the board that I re- release every year that I think is what their board looks like. In the last three years, I've nailed it. If you followed it, when their pick was came up, they took the best player who I thought was available on, the, on that board. So I'm hoping to be correct again this year, but I don't feel as confident, I'll be honest with you. It's tough. Um, it's just, it's you, a little tougher. You know what happened is for the first couple months, we're aiming for 12, and now you reset at 21. So you feel a little bit less prepared or, le- or that you've got a little bit less information this year. Um, maybe it's the change in coaching staffs and things like that, too, that, that are just a little bit less getting out there. Um, but if you would have asked me five days ago, I was ready to say Isaiah Wynn for the tackle guard from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm waiting to hear a confirmation on a visit for him. They were at the pro day, but – there was nothing that tells me they were immediately interested in him other than cursory being there. Um, McGlinchey makes perfect sense. There, I see a scenario where he's not there. And I think in that case, um, I think they, they would like a, an offensive lineman, but I don't think they'll force it. If Connor Williams isn't there also, I don't think they'll go to a Will Hernandez. I don't think they'll go to a James Daniels. I, I kind of feel like I that's agree. a little rich for them. Um, I wonder if that in that scenario they would go linebacker safety or defensive tackle um for me if i had to make a pick right now i still think it's mcglinchy only based on the reports that a lot of teams still don't have like a concrete first round grade on them and a lot of teams they have like a 16 to 18 players in that first round so that's fine if he's on that next fringe group and that's right in the bengals range and if he's there i think he is the pick 10 out of 10 times um so i that's who i would pick right now two weeks out but i will say we'll probably know much more just a few days out. Um, well, last thing, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, Brandon Albright uh, reported yesterday that Josh Rosen could be the most likely to fall. He's been told that. If Josh Rosen is there at 21, how tempted would you be, Joe, to to pull the trigger? Because I would be, I would have to do it 
just me personally, I would do it. And even if McGlinchey's there, and I know that sounds crazy and insane and people are going to call me insane, but that's what I would do. I don't think it happens, but if that scenario were to arise, uh, what would you do? And a lot of people didn't think Aaron Rodgers would fall and be there. And I brought this up a couple of days ago where I said, you know, say that scenario just plays out or one of the top guys drops a little bit. What do you do? Um, and it all depends on the team's evaluation or, or, in this case, our personal evaluation of Rosen. I think Rosen's worth the top five pick. I think he is a good prospect. Um, I would, I'd love to have him, especially if it was there at 21. That means quarterbacks fell. That means the positions the Bengals are probably targeting may have had a run. You're one less guy on that board that's, that you expect to be there because now a quarterback didn't go where they were supposed to. So, he could be the best player available at a premium position. In three years and two years when you have to extend A.D. Dalton again, in this market and the way the quarterbacks are being paid, are you comfortable with the Bengals giving up $60 million guaranteed to Andy Dalton on a two-, three-, four-year deal <laughs> at that point at an older age? It's hard to say, but I know no, it a five-year No, it isn't hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no. And on a five-year deal for Rosen – you would just let Dalton go or trade him in a year and yeah. recoup that first-round pick, and you almost didn't spend anything. Now your window is open again. The Bengals' window was never wider than before they extended Andy Dalton. And it's the same with every team that really has a young quarterback. Your window is open when you're paying them cheap and you're maximizing the cap. So if you could recreate that, get a good quarterback on a cheap cap number, and the other part of it is maxing up the cap, which the Bengals don't normally do. But if you could... I think that's how you get the window back open again. I think it's harder to get the window open when you're paying your quarterback $16 million, even though Andy Dalton is at the bottom of the list of those guys um, in quarterback pay. Uh, at the, the point remains that you pay a lot less for the 21st pick at quarterback. He's Joe Goodberry. Follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Give our listeners an idea of what uh, they're getting when they subscribe to The Athletic and they check out your work. Hopefully you're getting the best Bengals content you can pay for. And I actually, I could probably guarantee you that. But um, you're going to get analysis. You're going to get player evaluation. You're not going to get the dry game logs or, or coach speak or, or quotes that, I'd be honest with you, I don't want to look at the box score and read stuff like that. I'm going to tell you why the guy had success. I'm going to tell you why he struggled. I'm going to tell you what he can do, what he can't do, why he fits the team, why he'll make the Bengals better, what the Bengals should be doing. Um it's, it comes with an opinion, and I, I, people have enjoyed it for a few years. And not, I don't mean the athletic; I mean for what I've what I've done on the internet. But um, this week, and this is my wheelhouse. We're in we're in the draft twelfth uh, hour, basically, and Bengals boards what it should do, what should what they should do with the pick, and then right after the picks, and that night and the day after, I'm gonna have breakdowns of every single player they draft. And what I think, if they'll be good, it, you know, if, if they're going to struggle, why I think they're a good fit or a bad fit. And uh, I think my track record speaks for itself, James, and it, it's worth the, the small subscription fee of about $3 a month. Boom, look at that. Track record speaks for itself. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Subscribe to The Athletic. Follow me on Twitter, at James Erpine, at Locked On Bengals. Thank you for listening to our Saturday edition. Until Monday, I'm James Erpine. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.